gets. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Back at it again another edition of the Infectious Scouting Podcast. I am your host, Rick Saratella. Don't know like it is when it comes to the NFL Draft since 2002. It's what we do. And of course, I'll be joined by my uh, road dog, Russell Landy, a veteran scout, NFL, CFL, XFL, currently with the Calgary Stampeders up north. And of course, the entire football universe. Um, somewhat on semi-hold. I can't say entirely on hold because we did move forward with the free agent process. Uh, the NFL and I believe the CFL as well are both get prepared for the NFL draft. Getting creative too with video conferencing, uh, player interviews. Maybe this will be a new trend of the future. Um, the pro day circuit and scene being shaken up. Lots of players without anywhere to work out and um, hard for scouts to identify what's legit, what they can use, uh, what to look at. So it's a weird time here. Uh, nothing like anything I've ever seen. By far the craziest draft cycle I've ever experienced. But hey, kind of day to day. And if we can uh, alleviate your mind and take you on a magic carpet ride on the NFL draft Bible series with Russell Landy here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. We just want to drop some knowledge and some draft nuggets. It's like a McDonald's drive through Russ. How are we doing this morning? I'm doing great, man. Another day, another uh, day you get to watch film. So uh, even though life is definitely different right now, it's uh, for me, I just get to keep watching film, which is uh, the, the core of scouting. So that's the good part. No doubt. And we're all kind of uh, doing our final homework here in the 2020 draft class, turning the page to 2021. We've got about 6,000 players in our 2021 database. I'm talking to four head coaches today. Uh, This is what we do here at the NFL Draft Bible. So if you don't have the 2020 Draft Bible download, go to NFLDraftBible.com. And I'll tell you what, Russ, I'm going to hit them with the VIP promo code, which I only do For previous subscribers, this is going to be the only time we do it on the airwaves for all of you who tune in and listen to the show. We're going to wait until uh, later on to drop you with that. But stay tuned because that's what we call a teaser in this industry, Russ. And (laughs) my man, uh, we've had some fun here, though, on the show. This is, um, you know, about two dozen episodes into the season. We've broken down defensive backs. We did a show on linebackers and edge rushers last week. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the trench warfare with the big uglies in the trenches. We'll talk about defensive line, offensive line, and, um, you know, give you some uh, rankings. We'll hit you with some under-the-radar prospects and small school studs and, uh, you know, Russ, anything else you want to get off your chest here before we kick into the positional preview series? I know CFL is also – planning on moving forward uh, with the draft, from what I understand. Yep, the draft for the CFL is going to be about a week or 10 days. I don't have the the numbers right in front of me, right after the NFL draft. Um, And it's always a little bit for CFL, the big reason it's not so much uh, the wanting to do it after the NFL draft. I think it would be great. Uh, I think many in the CFL would love to do it a little earlier. But the the issue always comes up because you have players like the Nevin Gallimores, the, the, the Chase Claypools, and even this year, some other but smaller guys from Canada, from Alberta, from Montreal, that are potential NFL draft picks or free agent signings. And in the CFL, you don't want to draft a guy with your first or second or third pick in the first round if that guy gets drafted in the seventh round in the NFL. Because that means for at least three or four years, he's going to be in the NFL chasing the dream of playing in the NFL, and he may never come back. Like uh, Laurent Duvernay Tardif, who is a Canadian kid from McGill, who um, I believe Calgary, who I'm with, took in the third round years ago because there, he would have been the first player overall. He's the best player I've graded in eight years of scouting in Canada, but you couldn't take him first because you knew he was getting a chance with the Chiefs, and obviously now, fast forward six years later, 
and he's one of the top two or three interior linemen in the whole NFL. So he'll never play it down in the CFL. So that's why the CFL draft has to be after the NFL draft. But it's a fun time. We've been doing interviews with prospects. Um, we started out uh, Monday doing that over at sort of a WebEx type deal where we get to talk to each of the young men and really get to know these young men away from football and what their life's like, where they grew up and things like that. And it's just a fun time in scouting because although we don't get the pro days, which I think helps a lot of kids, we do get to really go back to the roots of scouting, which is just watching film. Let's not get too caught up on a guy vertical this or a guy ran this. Let's try to sit down and watch the film and figure out who the best players are. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, to the NFL standpoint, the teams that have the top-notch regional and area scouts, I mean, those guys are really going to uh, pay dividends when they get to day three and the undrafted free agent process. But, you know, the whole strategy of the CFL draft that you just delve into is, is so interesting to me because, you know, that's the fascinating part about being a CFL scout, in my opinion, and you can probably talk better to this, but it's really – you know, um, the intricacies of scouting because now you're trying to identify the fringe NFL prospects, the guys who are just really good, but just not good enough for the elite, but also can play at a very high level. And then you got to kind of factor in and transition how they're going to correlate to the bigger field, this uh, up-tempo game. And, and to me, it's just really, I mean, you've really got to have a trained eye. I don't know if you want to elaborate that at all, but I always found that to be really, I thought, the blood and scouting. Well, you know, the interesting thing about it, and first of all, you nail it correctly, it, it's, it's a weird dynamic of scouting, is there are really two trains of thought amongst different CFL teams. Some teams believe, let's try to find the best players that really are probably never going to get a look in the NFL. Then we can have continuity. We can have the same guy on our team for six or seven years, and we can improve and win. Other teams <clears throat> say, you know what? Yeah, it's great to have continuity, and we want to have that with some of our core guys, but we also want to find the best players. And if that means we bring a guy up that we see at an NFL camp a year or two in a row, but he never makes the team because he's really raw, or maybe a kid like Trey Roberson who played for Calgary the last two years, who was a quarterback in college, got switched to corner in the NFL and really couldn't find a home because he was so raw. He comes up to Canada, and two years as a starter, he blossoms from a raw kid to a, a pretty finished product, and he comes back down to the NFL. Now, obviously, it hurts Calgary because you lose one of the elite corners in the league, but for two years, you get a very, very special athlete playing where we don't get special, special athletes like that. So there's two different philosophies, but you know, there's no doubt it is a different world of scouting because you can't just go to a school and say, oh, he's here are the three best guys. Yeah, three best guys, that's great. None of them are coming to Canada. They're all going to the NFL. So who, who's that guy that you're not going to get a chance or that the NFL is sort of borderline on? And that's one of the things I count on all my contacts in the NFL is I'll get texts throughout the year saying, hey, I was just at Oklahoma. I was looking at them. And here's a guy I think is going to sort of slip through and uh, be a guy that you should look at. And it's funny. I got a, uh, a text a few years ago, and you'll laugh at this because you're Mr. Draft Guru. A buddy texts me and says, hey, he said, I'm not sure this kid's going to get a shot. I know he's not getting drafted, but you really ought to look at this running back out of Colorado named Philip Lindsay. He goes, I think he would just be a superstar in the CFL. He goes, I'm pretty sure he's going undrafted. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I watched the film, tell the people in Montreal, I'm like, we need to get on this kid. We need to neg list. And like, ah, he's so small. I'm like, guys, I'm telling you. And what happens? He ends up now he's a, now he's a stud sort of pair of a two-headed uh, monster there in Denver with Melvin Gordon. But that's the whole thing is sometimes you think some of those guys that are going to slip through the cracks, you might get a shot at because of size or whatever. But if they're really special, it's hard to get them away from the NFL. And our, our good buddy Steve Fairchild was uh, tooting that uh, Philip Lindsay horn because he had him out there training with him and kept hitting me up. You got to check this guy out. You got to check this guy out, Philip Lindsay. And uh, undrafted, I believe, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. And, 
to me, uh, the better running back, even though Melvin Gordon is on the roster. So uh, talk about the best bargain in the NFL, Russ. He's only scheduled to make about a million bucks this year, earned a million bucks the first two years. So in, in the three seasons of uh, uh, Philip Lindsay, Denver only had to pay this guy two million bucks. And here comes Melvin Gordon with, what, $8 million per season. So uh, there you yeah. go. I mean, I'm thinking about it. He's making less than you. Yeah, right. Yeah, I wish that was the case. Uh, but you know, and 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 that that in a nutshell, though, is why the running back position is so devalued. And we'll talk about that on our running back preview show. But I want to delve into uh, the defensive lineman because we we got quite a few positions to discuss here today, Russ. And we've uh, broken down all the defense, uh, defensive line, the down linemen. We're grouping them all together, uh, defensive tackles, uh, 34 ends. Uh, we're going to talk about the guys we like, you guys we don't like, just some guys under the radar. Of course, you know I love the small school guys. So um, you mentioned Neville Gallimore and, and, and his kind of status is, is uh, unknown where he'll go in the CFL draft. I don't think anyone is going to take him early on in the CFL draft. But uh, the big question out there that everybody wants to know on the Twitterverse does Neville Gallimore crack the top five? How does your top five defensive lineman rank? You know, he doesn't crack my top five. And, and the whole reason really is, is for the NFL, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where he fits. Because I think the thing with Gallimore is he's such a freak athlete. But I don't think he's that true power interior guy. And I don't know if he's that explosive guy to be a three technique or if he's a five technique playing outside as an end in the 34. So that to me is a hard part with Gallimore, but he's going to play in the NFL. I think he's going to be a second or third round pick play for a long time. But my top five, it starts, I'll start at the bottom. We got Raekwon Davis um, or Raekwon. I'm not sure how it's pronounced out of Alabama. I like this kid. I um, think this is the type of kid that he may not be that rare special freak athlete, but he, he's a good athlete with good strength, good size. I like a lot of them. Um, I probably have this next kid a little higher than most, the James Lynch kid out of Baylor. Um, I, there's just something about I'm a real believer that a lot of those interior guys that are other than the freak athletes, a lot of the guys that are good athletes, what separates the guys who make it and become starters and those who bounce around the league is just the passion and intensity they play with. Um, and I think when you watch Lynch play, I don't think he's a freak athlete by any stretch, but he plays like it's the last time he's ever going to be on a football field. He competes every single down like there's never going to be another snap. So there's just something about this kid I like. I think he's going to be a very productive player in the NFL. I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that gets more than five or six sacks or, or, or really is a dominant guy, but I think he's going to be a very consistent starting defensive tackle. Uh, the Ross Blaylock kid from TCU is my next guy like this kid. I think athletically, he's just a notch above almost all the other DTs. Um, but to me, the big separation is above Blaylock, and that's where you get into sort of the two freaks of nature. My number two guy is uh, Javon Kinlaw, the kid from South Carolina, who I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up going ahead of my number one guy, which is Derek Brown. Uh, Kinlaw is more of a unique guy because he's so huge, but he's also so athletic. There aren't many big men like him, 330-plus, that can move like him. Um, I think he's going to end up going in that top five or seven picks. Um, I think there's going to be a surprise there with where he goes from what I've heard. Um, and the Brown kid is just, you just don't get many defensive tackles who are not only consistently the first man moving at the snap, but are consistently able to get through gaps and behind the line of scrimmage. Now he does have trouble at times. He'll get a little high. And when he does, he's not as effective, but man, his initial quickness, his ability to penetrate and he's just raw power. The ability when he decides I'm not going to hit a gap, but I'm going to hit the man straight ahead of me. He can literally just jolt drive and get right into the backfield, extend those arms, get away from his man and make a play. I mean, he's a unique guy. So to me, it's those two guys, Brown and Kinlaw, that depending on the scheme you play and what you're doing, those are the two guys that you have to look at going in the top five to 10 of the draft at the latest um, to get a freak of nature like those two guys. Yeah, I think Brown and Kinlaw are very, very head and shoulders above the rest of the bunch. Um, I think where things get tricky is the is the knee. <laughs> With Kinlaw, I did hear there's some yep. concern there. I don't know how serious of a concern it is. So for that reason, it wouldn't surprise me if he went ahead of Derrick Brown. And it wouldn't surprise me if he slides to the middle of the first round. So I could see Kinlaw 
really anywhere from, you know, five to 15 in that range. Uh, but I will tell you, I mean, he is probably, from what I saw, by far the most impressive looking physical specimen at the at the senior bowl. Came out and just dominated for two days. Uh, probably got a, a call from the agent and said, hey, you know what, your work is done there, just shut it down. Um, but he is a rare breed. Brown, I think, is one of the true blue chip prospects. I mean, this guy is just a... Uh, a, a, a backfield wrecking machine, and um, you know, I would have no problem, no problem at all, taking Derrick Brown with any of the top five picks anywhere. And um, you know, in terms of defensive prospects, I mean, Chase Young is only the, the cleaner prospect. In terms of Brown and, and Okuda, hey, give me, give me the down lineman uh, presence, that big body guy. Uh, over the corner, uh, I value both of them. But you know, when it comes to Brown and Okuda, I slightly value Brown just a little bit more. And then you know, I agree with you with the TCU defensive tackle Blacklock is my number three. And then you know, my four and five is a little bit different than your four and five. You know, and I like Lynch too. And I think you know, I've probably fall, fallen victim to the bias about his short arms. You know, that's really the only negative he's got going for him. And because I think they're 31 and change, they come under 32 inches. Um, I think he's going to be a, a great day two value selection because I, I do think he slides because of the arm size. Uh, but this guy, I agree with you on that. No player. doubt. And I'll be keeping an eye on Matt Rule and the Panthers you know, coming around their uh, round two, round three. I, w- I would imagine he would have his eyes on a, uh, on a guy like that. And then, um, you know, you mentioned Raekwon Davis. We've talked in, uh, about his off-the-field issues there and, you know, how much of an impact those team meetings had in the combine will probably dictate where he comes off the board. For me, number four, Justin Matabuke. And shout-out to our guy, Ryan Roberts, because he's been tooting this guy's horn off-season long, basically. And he probably likes him a little bit more than I do. But I think he's legitimate – First round buzz. You want a dark horse candidate for round one, Texas A&M, Justin Matabuke. Uh, I think he's an immediate two down player, a run stuffing type of impact presence. Uh, I think, you know, there's some work to be done. He's still developing though. And I think he's got a lot of room to grow. Huge upside uh, with Matabuke. And then I did throw Gallimore in my top five, just based on the athleticism and the measurables. I think, you know, there's going to be a team that just falls in love with the size, speed, intangibles and says, Hey, you know, give me this guy to mold and, and fold and, and we'll create something. And then, you know, the uh, Missouri uh, defensive tackle, Jordan Elliott, right there on the outside uh, looking in, um, you know, so that's, you know, pretty much the top three on point. We agree. Brown and Kinlaw, you know, really uh, top 10 pedigree type of talents. And, you know, this is, I think, overall, I mean, a pretty solid uh, uh, defensive tackle class here, Russ. I think, you know, there's going to be a handful of starters that emerge from this year's class. Oh, I think it's an outstanding class. I mean, we haven't even gotten, we're talking about like some of the under the radar guys that we really like more than others. I could see this being a class that people look back and say, well, you know, some of the positions weren't great. Like, I really believe that a few years from now, we're going to look back and say, well, the quarterback class that was supposed to be so amazing, yeah, it wasn't as good as we thought. But I think when you look back, the receivers and the D-linemen and the offensive tackle, this is going to be a class that people look back and say, wow, there are not many years where the defensive tackle class has eight or nine guys that become not just guys that make rosters, but starting defensive tackles. And I think this is a rare year for the, this. Um, mm-hmm. the, the funny thing, because you mentioned about how Brown is sort of a human wrecking ball. It reminds me back when he and Sue came out, when uh, McCoy and Sue came out in the same yep. year. And everybody talked that. about Sue. Because Sue yep. was a powerful big man, but he didn't have McCoy's rare special explosiveness. When I look at Brown, I see a lot of the traits of McCoy, a guy that can get into the gaps, but he also has the power to dominate at the point of attack. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how Brown turns out. I think he could be a really special guy for a long, long time in the NFL. Agree. And you mentioned the offensive tackle class. We'll talk about them second part of the show. But first, we're talking defensive tackles. Russell Landy, Rick Saratella here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Tune in iTunes, Blog Talk Radio. We appreciate all the love and support throughout the season. We'll be back next week talking um, tight ends and wide receivers. So 
uh, defensive lineman rush that you're higher on than others? You know, for me, it's a kid, and we talked about him during the years, the Robert Windsor kid. Um, when I first saw him, I thought, wow, this kid's going to be a late-round guy. Where is he going to fit? But the more I saw him during the year, then get to see him down at the Senior Bowl, I really think this is a kid that, although he may not go until the third or fourth round, I think this is a kid that has a lot of the tools to be a starter. Um, I think his, his shed ability has to get better. That's one of the issues I have with him. But in terms of strength, knowing what he's doing, and underrated athleticism to chase down plays and pursuit, this is a kid I like. I think he's never going to be a flashy guy, um, never going to be a guy that does anything dominant um, game to game. But he reminds me a little bit of the kid Brandon Meebane, who's sort of been in the NFL for a while, um, has never been a guy who got 10 sacks a year or dominated games, but was just sort of that anchor, that guy you felt was your most well-rounded lineman. I think this is that guy. He's going to be strong at the point of attack, ultra competitive. He can line up at nose. He can be a three if you need him for a few snaps. He can slide out and play end if you need him to. He can be a true two-gap guy in a, in a 43. I like this kid. I think he's got a home in the NFL. Um, I just don't think he's got the rare athletic traits, and that's why he's not getting the hype. Yeah, you know, Windsor was the guy I got a chance to see him up close. And that Penn State defense, I mean, they have players for days. I mean, they've got another wave of defensive prospects coming out for next year's draft. And, yeah, I think Windsor kind of gets lost in the mix there. He's a solid mid-round pick, and he's going to be, you know, I think a very, very uh, key rotational type of guy um, that can play a key role at the next level. Uh, for me – McTelvin Ajum uh, from Arkansas, you know, um, we had boots on the ground. Our guy Joe Everett was down in, in St. Pete and kept telling me McTelvin Ajum, uh, this guy is, you know, just blowing people away throughout the week, kind of gets the call up to the Senior Bowl. Uh, scouts recognized that. And Nagy got word, called him up there and did pretty well for himself. Here's a guy that was kind of playing out of position at Arkansas. And, you know, he can play multiple positions, has some versatility, um, but, you know, really had a chance to show off his quickness and athleticism in the one-on-one. So McTelvin Adam, I think this is a guy, uh, not a lot of people talking about him. I could see him even crack the top 100. Um, Broderick Washington, Texas Tech, you know, this was arguably the most impressive player during our NFLPA Collegiate Bowl throughout the week in Pasadena. Uh, just every day in practice, got better and better, uh, played excellent in the game. Another guy who, you know, when I saw Nagy and Mobile said, hey, who's the guy, who's the stud, who's the one player deserving to be here right now? I said, without hesitation, Broderick Washington. And I appreciate Jim for, you know, calling him up to Mobile and giving him that stage to perform on. And then, you know, when I made that cross-country flight from Pasadena to Mobile, uh, you know, as we transition into uh, guys that I like and, and, and a guy that you're lower on, a guy that I'm higher on, and we kind of disagree here, Davon Hamilton, to me, I, I get to Mobile and I'm watching Davon Hamilton in one-on-ones, quick first step, explosiveness, beating guys uh, all day long, showing some some good arm, you know, pass rush repertoire and good hand combat. I mean, I said, where did this guy come from? Shot out of the cannon. Uh, didn't really start, I don't think, at Ohio State. Of course, they got studs on that defensive line at Ohio State, but they kind of used him in the rotation and he was effective. And I don't think the ceiling is as high, not nearly as high as some of these guys that we talked about in our top five, but I think his floor is, is pretty uh, concrete. And I, I think you know what you're getting. I think he's going to be used in that kind of rotational type of role at the next level. I think he's going to be a pretty uh, uh, impact player. Uh, so, Russ, with that, we'll transition into guys that you do not like. <laughs> Wait, and, you know, it's not so much not like it's, it's – he, to me, is one of the harder guys to figure out because and, – and you made a, the, the exact point is when you, saw, when you saw him and when I saw him down in Mobile, he looked like an elite talent. I mean, athletically, he showed it. The ability to get off blocks and, and do things in the one-on-one drills, all that was there. And I just kept going, why didn't I see this at Ohio State? Why didn't I see him make plays? Because you know he wasn't the focus, because everybody was focused, all five blockers on the O-line, they just blocked Jay Shung. Everybody else got to run free. It was like, why didn't I see this guy dominate more? It's not that I don't think he's talented. 
or that he flashed. My, my real concern is just how does a guy that is this physically talented and he showed it in Mobile, he's physically talented, why didn't he impact more? That's my concern. I don't think he is not a guy that deserves to be in the NFL or even going in the first hundred picks. I'm just trying to figure out why does a guy that to me looks like there's some there's a there's first round athletic talent. Why didn't I see that production game in and game out? That's my concern. No, it's a le- legitimate concern, no doubt about it. Uh, Russ Landy, Rick Saratella breaking it down, defensive lineman. And, uh, you know, we always got to shine the spotlight on the small school guys just a little bit, just a little bit. So uh, anybody here, Russ, that you're looking at from uh, under the radar small school perspective? You know, one small school kid I'll mention is a kid that I didn't know anything about until I went down to the uh, Tropic Bowl. And there's this kid, Kevin Thurman from Arkansas State. And uh, the first day of practice, I saw this kid make a play, and I was like, oh, Tropic Bowl, maybe he's a guy that'll be a guy that slips through and we can jump on in the CFL. And then I started asking scouts about him, and they're like, yeah, don't don't worry about it. He ain't coming to you guys for a while. They're like, this is a 295-300-pounder with very, very quick feet, very, very agile. He can get behind the, the line of scrimmage. They're like, he's going to be at least bouncing around the NFL in worst case scenario, if not playing for a team and starting. So he's a kid I think's got a bright future. I saw him there, came back home, watched more film, even though the scouts said he was going to be an NFL guy. And he's impressive. He's a, he's a better athlete than most new linemen that come out of that level. Um, he's got quick feet. He knows how to use his hands. Um, he's an impressive guy. I really think this kid's got a chance to uh, to move up um, in terms of his sort of name recognition when he gets in the NFL. I think people will find out who he is. And the other kid, my under-the-radar kid, it's James Lynch's teammate, the Bravion Roy kid. Um, I, I like this kid. I know he's not the freak athlete, and he sort of looks like a little tree stumpy. I, I was stunned at how, that, he was, that he was over 6000. I thought this kid was going to measure like 5'11 and a half and 340 pounds because he looks literally like a fire hydrant with wheels. But he's strong. He runs well in a limited area. He can chase plays down. I think this is a guy that's going to get in the league, shock some people. Um, I'm not going to say he's he's uh, going to be a star or anything like that, but I could see this guy being that third DT, a guy that becomes part of the rotation, plays 25 to 35 snaps a game. This is a guy I could see. We were talking, you talk about Matt Rule earlier. This is a guy I could see Rule. If this guy slides into the late day three, I could see him saying, man, I know what this kid is. I know what he brings to the table. I'm going to get this guy in and bring him in in the sixth round because this kid's got something to him. He just makes plays, and he is a hard man to move off the ball. Yeah, and you know, they Rule and Snow, they're in Carolina now. They they've already showed they like guys familiar with their system. Bridgewater linking up with Brady, who he had um at the NFL level. So, you know, that's gonna be interesting. They got that other defensive guy, lineman James Lockhart too. Uh there's a handful of those Baylor defensive linemen guys to keep an eye on. And I do have some small school guys. I also forgot to uh, mention James Smith Williams is the guy that I'm kind of down on. You know, I, I got a chance to meet James, and he's really a smart dude. One of the most impressive, if not the most impressive player I, I actually spoke to this year. But he's always hurt. And he never achieved, you know, came close to any kind of expectations there at North Carolina State. And he's just always injured every year, every year. He comes to the combine. He gets hurt doing the vertical jump, Russ. i never seen anything like this. He hurts his elbow on the vertical jump. You can't make this stuff up. And it's just like, I got to worry about this guy pulling a hamstring in pregame warmups. So he's got all the athleticism in the world. Uh, but, you know, just can he play football? I'm not sure. Sorry, James. Um, small school standouts. For me, and I'm not sure any of these guys are getting drafted. We mentioned the depth of the defensive tackle class, but I think they're worth a mention for all my draft mix out there that love to go uh, deep sea fishing. Uh, Josh Avery, female, southeastern uh, Missouri State. You know, we had him in Pasadena. He flashed. He flashed throughout the week. He's got great uh, upper and lower body strength. I mean, this guy is squatting, you know, 650 pounds and uh, bench pressing 450. And I mean, he's just a mammoth in the middle, a stud nose tackle uh, kind of guy at the small school level. I thought he struggled at times, you know, with the step up in competition. So I think, you know, he's probably practice squad material. There's going to be too much size and, and strength and um, ability there, you know, for a team not to give him a shot. Lakeel London, 
uh, from Western Illinois. You know, here's a guy who did get a chance to perform at his pro day workout before they were all shut down and, and, and timed extremely well. I don't remember offhand, but at 300 pounds, I'm pretty sure he was in the 480 range. And you saw that speed and quickness. Again, we had him out in Pasadena at the NFL PA Bowl. Uh, Chris Williams from Wagner, you know, out in Staten Island here, you know, working with pot roast Terrence Knighton. Uh, you know, he's been tooting his horn now for the last couple of years, telling, telling me, hey, I got a guy for you. I got a guy for you. I'm telling you. He's built for the next level. Chris Williams is a lean, you know, maybe the most lean 300 pounds uh, player in, in, in this year's draft. I mean, he could probably add 25 pounds, no problem. And, you know, he, he was working with Chris Baker uh, from the Redskins during the offseason, uh, just, you know, working on his versatility, pass rushing repertoire. But Chris Williams from Wagner, <clears throat> there's a lot of buzz around Cam Gill. But Chris Williams, uh, don't be surprised if he's the guy uh, that really makes a mark at the next level. And the last guy, I'm out, I'm out there. Uh, you know, we might have talked about this during the during the year, but for those you know who didn't tune in, I'm out in the Oregon, um, making the rounds. I'm over at Oregon, Oregon State. Uh, you know, they played a doubleheader on a Saturday in between games. Uh, one was early afternoon, one was at nighttime. In between, I drive up to D uh, three George Fox. College and uh, their football team had been abandoned for 85 years. Uh, they brought it back about five years ago and got a heads up from a scout. Uh, actually, it was Dane Vandernat over at our uh, NFL table said there's a guy out there at George Fox that a uh, uh, scout had tipped him off about. And I go out there, he's six five, three hundred. Um, you know, dealt with some injuries, but you know, here's a guy that uh, you know you want a D3 talent from D3 to the NFL, he's going to at least get a look. And I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know how it's going to work with, with uh, rookie tryouts and, and rookie camps being canceled and no uh, NFL local days on the agenda. Uh, you know, a guy like Caleb Dalzell from George Fox University, George Fox College, um, they had a really uh, interesting thing on third down when the defense, it was, you know, third down situation, uh, the the crowd and it wasn't much of a crowd Russ maybe a couple hundred people but the bleachers were filled everybody takes out their keychains and starts jingling the keys uh so that was an interesting d3 experience uh and you know shout out to uh whatever town that that school is located in because i'm driving through these back roads of oregon and uh you know, street signs population of 250 people and then you know it's just all of a sudden this little football field uh pops up in a, in a, like someone's backyard and uh you know some of the fun parts of the scouting trails there so anything else so one thing i'll add is you mentioned the kid from western um the locale kid yeah um i think i think if you just looked at athleticism there, there's no doubt that this kid is a draftable kid. And I think potentially would it just on talent third or fourth round. I think the issue is wow. just, does this kid have the maturity and focus to yeah. do the things necessary to be a professional? Um, mm -hmm. That's, that's what I've heard from a number of people. Um, Northwestern annually holds their pro day. Um, and they allow small school kids to show in the morning and they put them through a workout starting about 10 or 11 in the morning. Um, all of them are there. This kid shows up an hour and a half late. Um, mm. It's your chance literally at Northwestern where there's a hundred NFL people. Um, not a late, not, under, not, not knowing what he's doing, constantly having to be shown around and taken to different spots to explain to them what they're doing. Um, it's, it's a sad thing because as you and I know, Rick, when you, everybody in their life is 20 and 21, we're generally young and dumb. Um, and this is not a bad kid by any stretch. I think he's just trying to figure it out. He's young. And unfortunately, that hurts you when you're getting drafted when you're 20 or 21. So despite having draftable talent and draftable film, I think this is a kid that probably is going to be undrafted. But I think if someone gets him and the light goes on and he sees what it needs, what the way you need to do to be a professional, this is a kid that could have a long career. You nailed it, bringing him up because he is an ultra talented kid, just has to be more consistent in his approach and his focus off the field to become the player he has the talent to be on the field. 
real inside information, real scouting, and real rankings. That's what we do here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. Make sure you go to NFLDraftBible.com and download the 2020 Draft Bible. I told you it was coming, and we haven't done this, and we won't do it. But for all you listeners who tuned in today, here's a goodie for you. We usually only do this for subscribers in the past. And, uh, you know, we're going to do it for you, the listening audience today. So 50% discount. The only time we're going to do this. 50% discount for all my VIP people out there. Enter the promo code VIP50. VIP50. Um, I'm going to save you 50% off the NFL Draft Bible. Don't tell me I didn't do anything for you during the coronavirus pandemic. All right. Um, now, in all seriousness, we appreciate every single person who supports us, uh, Samantha and myself. You know, we are an independent scouting service, and my wife and myself run the whole show. We've got uh, different people all over the country. Shout out to Joe Everett and Ryan Roberts, Drew Schweitzer, and Dakota Follett, Will Chris, and all the guys, Tim behind the scenes that really did a great job on the NFL Draft Bible. It's 622 scouting reports, 182 player interviews, background information, rankings, mock draft, 2021 preview. You can't go wrong, people. Check it out, NFLDraftBible.com. All right, Russ, let's transition into offensive linemen, um, interior offensive linemen, centers, guards. What do you got for us? Hit us. You know, for interior guys, I mean, to me, the top guy, and there are really two guys to me that stand out when I'm looking inside. I mean, I like the Cesar Ruiz kid, um, the center out of Michigan. This is a kid that – it's funny. When I first started watching film on this kid, I was like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where he fits. He looks actually a lot shorter than he measures. Um, when you when you actually measure this kid, he measured in that 6-2 area. Um, he, he's a really good football player, stays on his feet, very good balance. I like this kid. I think he's going to be a, a long-time starter in the NFL. Um, the kid from Wisconsin, to me, is a little bit scary. The Biedaz kid, um, very upright, um, doesn't block with a lot of leverage, which concerns me. Um, I think he's a decent player, but he's not, to me, one of your top one or two. To me, you really have the Ruiz kid. You have the Hennessy kid from Temple, who I think is vastly underrated. You have the Cushenberry kid from LSU, who I think does not get enough credit. He's To me, Cushenberry, I look at it, he's an athletic kid. He can move. Um, I just would like to see a little bit more dominance from him. But to me, the, the centers really fall off. It's really, to me, I like the Ruiz kid. I like the Hennessy and, and the Cushberry, Cushenberry kid I like. I don't love him. And then it's Biedaz. And I don't have a guy after that that I get all excited about becoming a future starter in the NFL. And when I go over to the guards, it's sort of even more disappointing. Not that there aren't any guys that are going to play, but when I look at them, it's like I just don't get pumped up about, hey, this is a guy I think is going to be a step-in guy that's a dominant player. Um, I like the guys we talked about earlier this year, the Robert Hunt, the kid from Louisiana College, Damian Lewis, the kid from LSU, are two guys that I probably have hired the most, Ben Breeston out of Michigan, and the guy I've told you all, all year, the guy I sort of couldn't figure out because I was watching Rutgers, the Jonah Jackson kid, um, this is a kid that I'm watching Rutgers in 18, and I'm like, wow, this guy's a good player. I saw watching 19, he's not there, and then I realized he transferred to Ohio State. I think this kid's going to end up being one of the better interior guys in this old draft. I, I have him as one of my top five guys for interior alignment. I think this guy two years from now will be a starting guard in the NFL. He reminds me a lot of the kid, John Miller, that came out of Louisville a few years ago, that it took a little while for him to get settled, and then he showed he can be a starter, not a dominant one, but he can start in this league. But to me, the, the interior guys this year, it's such a weird mix of guys, and there really, to me, is not a special dominant guy at the top that makes me say I have to take this guy in the first 50 picks. Yeah, it's tough with the guards, and I agree. I like Jonah Jackson at guard, too. Uh, Robert Handy Hunt, I don't think he was even invited to the combine. I thought, you know, he's one of the bigger combine snubs there. And then Michigan, they got Breedison. I think uh, Runyon, who played tackle at Michigan, of course, his father, a great player, but I think Runyon has to kick inside and play guard. Um, you know, Ona Wenyu is there in Michigan. Um, we actually have John Simpson from Clemson as the first ranked guard, but you know, it's, it's uh, anybody's debate. I think that's the one position where you could state a case 
Uh, Logan Stenberg is a guy I think that's impressive. Uh, I, I really like he's now he's still raw. I, I thought he showed a lot of improvement throughout the week at the Senior Bowl, though. I liked, I noticed the coaches kind of gravitated towards him because of his upside. I think he's a guy that can emerge. You know, he's not the, the most talented guard coming out of the draft today, but in five years from now, he could be the most polished guy. And, um, you know, you mentioned Cushenberry. I was disappointed when I saw him in the Mobile. I was expecting more. Uh, Hennessy, yep. I think, is a solid you know, solid, not a great, but a solid, uh, long tenure guy at the next level. Um, the Wisconsin kid, you know, I just don't see the same kind of player after the back injury. And to your point, the playing too high and kind of stiffness, I think the back is a legitimate concern. And, you know, Ruiz, when he first declared, uh, I kind of was a little bit surprised. And then the more homework I did and checked them out and realized, hey, this is a uh, uh, – you know, borderline first-round guy in Carlos Ruiz. So, um, any guys that you didn't mention that you're kind of high on? You know, well, firstly, I'll mention the Ruiz. Just, just throw out a, 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 what could be a shocker. Let's just think back, what, seven, eight years ago? Everybody was surprised. He included myself when the Cowboys took Travis Frederick at the end of the first round. Most teams had him yep. as sort of a – uh, a third round, maybe top of second round guy and Dallas took him and obviously <laughs> turned out to be a great pick. Dallas yeah. just finds out Frederick's retiring end of the first you're sitting there. You thinking maybe you we take a shot and take this Ruiz kid. I mean, I could see that happening. Um, the Cowboys are a very, even though everybody likes to point in the media, they talk about Jerry running the show. The reality is with Will McClay there, Lionel Vital there, they're very old school in terms of, they watch a ton of film. They're going to grind this away, and if they feel Ruiz can fit what they do offensively and could step right in, it wouldn't shock me if they said, you know what, even though there may be other players that may have a chance to be more dominant guys down the road, we think we can fill in and replace Frederick right now and not have any drop-off. So I could see him being a guy there that sneaks in, even though I don't think he's a first-round player. And you mentioned guys at a small school or the guys I'm a little bit higher on. The Hennessy kid, to me, I'm definitely, I think, higher on than most. I really think he's right there with Ruiz. Um, I don't think he's as dominant as Ruiz because Ruiz is sort of like the guy's made out of Velcro. Once he gets his hands on you, it's over. And he does a good job of maintaining his fit with his hands between the shoulders so that he doesn't get called for the penalties. Hennessy is more the athlete. He'll get on guys, and even though he's not a rare athlete, he, he, he gets it by positioning, and sometimes his hand placement isn't ideal, and he ends up losing the block. But I really like the kid. I think his potential long-term is very good. The, the Barch kid out of St. John's, that's the kid I probably am a little higher on than most. Um, when I watched this kid at the Senior Bowl, I felt, wow, he doesn't look out of place size-wise. He doesn't look out of place athletically. And he didn't look out of place in terms of, hey, this is a big stage. I'm coming from a tiny little school that doesn't cut players. And I'm coming to the Senior Bowl, and I'm holding my own. He didn't look out of place, didn't look nervous. He really impressed me. I think this is a kid that, although he's probably going to have some ups and downs this year, adjusting to the NFL, adjusting to a lot of things, sort of like Ali Marpet did when he came in. This is a kid I could see becoming a quality starter his second year and staying in that starting lineup for the long term. And, you know, I just want to go back to your Cowboys point with the Carlos Rios. I think Dallas is at 17. I'll give you the ultimate dream scenario if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan right now. Jordan Love flies, or there's a team that falls in love with Jacob Eason at 17. If you're the Cowboys, you trade back uh, into the end of the first round or early second round. You still gain Ruiz, and you pick up an additional pick. That's the dream scenario right there for the Dallas Cowboys and it makes sense because you know with their recent track record uh if you tell me that uh, Dallas is going to draft an offensive lineman uh despite the fact that they need a safety and a defensive end there I wouldn't be surprised a uh, couple of other interior guys I'm going to get off my chest here <clears throat> you know we just did an interview with Danny Pinter uh from Ball State uh he's got the best feet in the draft of any offensive guard, no doubt about it. Uh, here's a guy I think is going to surprise some people, third or fourth round pick. Uh, Moulton, John Moulton from Boise State. You know, there's, there's been some nagging injuries there, so I'm not sure if he gets drafted. But to me, Moulton 
from Boise State. Uh, I could see a team taking a late round flyer, sixth or seventh round. If not, he's going to be one of these undrafted free agent guys that goes on and starts at the next level. He could play any three of those interior positions and uh, pretty, did a pretty damn good job uh, at each of them. And I, I just want to add something there because you're mentioning to give sort of a sort of a tip to those people. You know this because you've been doing this for what seems like forever, and I've been doing it since they invented water. But one of the things that people don't realize is part of what's going to help the kid that you just mentioned, and I already forgot his name, I apologize, from Boise, what's going to help him probably get that selection in the sixth or seventh round is that they have players like Ezra Cleveland, who everybody is going out there to see. So every team is sending their O-line coach out to the – given the pro day, but they're evaluating everybody at Boise. So the fact that they're looking at a lineman already there that's highly regarded means this kid's going to get extra looks. So even though he's had the injury injury history, more looks at a kid that's talented, he's going to get an opportunity. It's one of the things that people on the outside don't realize is having a really good teammate, it generally pushes the draft value up of everybody else that's athletic because the – they're going to get more looks. And if they're athletic and they get more looks, they're going to move up draft boards. Uh, that's a great point. And, you know, to that point, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets drafted because of that. And, uh, you know, two last guys I'll mention. The small school guy for me is Kyle Hinton from Washburn. You know, again, a versatile guy. He can move uh, in and out of that guard center position. Really good uh, mobility, athleticism, agile, great on, you know, pulling down the line, getting us to the second level. Need some work, you know, probably not a draftable prospect, but a small school guy that I would want to work with at the next level. And then Justin Heron from Wake Forest, a guy that, you know, I, I saw him early in the season. His early game film was bad. I know he was coming off the knee or the Achilles and kind of still rehabbing back from that. Uh, scouts that went in there after me told told me that his game film was much better later on in the season. I think he was at the East-West Shrine game. I was not. So my early season bias and, and evaluation there, it's just a player I have not had time to circle back to. I'll take my people's word for it. Um, I'm still not investing a very high pick in him. He played tackle, by the way, at Wake, and I thought the other guy, I thought the other tackle was a better player, the right tackle, Benzinger. I think Heron will have to kick inside and play guard at the next level. Um, anything else on the guards before we go to tackles, Russ? The only guy I want to mention, because a lot of people have this guy as a top five guy and everything, is the kid Shane Lemieux from Oregon. You know, Oregon mm-hmm. was one of those schools I did probably mid-October, um, early November, because uh, I wanted to take a look at the quarterback. And I got to tell you, really disappointed in this kid. Not that, I mean, you know when you watch this kid, the effort, the toughness, that's all there. I mean, he, he plays like it's the last time he's ever going to play football, and he is going to be in the league because of that. Um, I just think he's so stiff and struggles so much when the play is not right in front of him because he just can't adjust, he can't move and he can't bend, that I think he's going to be sort of locked in as having to be that emergency center, emergency guard type guy. And every year he's going to be fighting to make a roster because there's a lot of guys that fit that mold of emergency center, emergency guard, because he can't swing out and be your emergency tackle also. He can't be your guy on game day that allows you to keep only seven guys instead of eight. He's not that guy because he can't be an emergency at all the positions. I just There's something about him. I just don't see this guy lasting more than three or four years in the NFL. I think once his rookie deal is up, I could see him struggling to find a home in the NFL. You know, and there's a sentiment there about uh, several of those Oregon offensive linemen. I actually have a, a tackle and it's not the player that you probably expect that I'll talk about as we transition to the offensive tackles with Russell Landy, Rick Saratella here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast, breaking down D-line, O-line, trench warfare, big ugly style edition. Uh, make sure you subscribe and share and, and spread the word on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio, all of our positional preview series, counting you down to the 2020 NFL Draft, less than a month away now. So we'll be back. We'll break down tight ends and wide receivers next week. Um, and start diving into some of those skill position players. But, Russ, as you know, outside of uh, the quarterback position, uh, arguably the next most important thing is protecting uh, that quarterback. And I'll tell you what, man, if you you need an offensive tackle, this is about as good a year as any, isn't there? 
it's unbelievable. I mean, <clears throat> literally, you're sitting there. If you're a team even in a, that doesn't have a high first-round pick and you have other needs and you're like, you know what, we'd love to get a tackle, but we can't justify using a first-round pick, don't panic. This year, there are going to be guys going in the third round that normally people would be thinking about taking a gamble on late in the first. Um, it's an incredible class. I mean, I think you're really looking at four or five guys that are legitimately should be in the discussion to be the first tackle taken. And when you have that much discussion, and it's not like it's discussion because they're bad and you can't figure out who the top guy is, sort of like a guard and center. We were trying to say, well, is Ruiz the guy or is Hennessy? Because there really is no one guy that's a, a definite top 10 pick. Well, guess what? There's four or five guys that could be top 10 picks in this year's draft at tackle. And that's why, to me, the fact that every team is split. I mean, I know there's, there are teams that have the Willis kid from Alabama one. There are teams that have Thomas one, um, Becton and Wirfs. There is no question that this year's draft at tackle is fantastic. And if you're a team in that top five or ten and you're really saying we're going to take a tackle, you could have great luck in trading down five or six spots. If you have all the tackles ranked similarly, you could pick up an extra second-round pick or maybe even extra first to drop down five or seven picks and still get one of the tackles if you have them all ranked evenly and pick up an extra pick to where you could get another quality player. I'll tell you, I got these top four tackles all going in the top 12. In fact, I did my mock draft to the draft Bible, and I went back and looked at it. I had Andrew Thomas all the way down at 17 going to the Dolphins. I said, that can't be possible. I said, how did that happen? Well, I had the three other guys in the top 12. But, you know, to your point, Russ, I'll be honest, Andrew Thomas winded up number fourth on our board. I think he's still, in my opinion, the most polished, ready-to-start tackle. Now, the guys I have ahead of them, I just like their upside more. But I think Andrew Thomas, to me, is still the, 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 the number one polished tackle. But I think, you know, you could state a case, uh, and I, I we'll go into your top five and, and listen why, that you can state a strong case. Any, any of these, to me, the top four guys are the cream of the crop, and you can flip them upside down, inside out, whatever order you want. I'll take them how you call them. No, I, I think you nailed it on the screws. Is it, it really a lot of it depends on the coaches, what they want with their system, what they're going to ask the the tackles to do. Um, certain guys are a little bit more fundamentally sound. Certain guys might be a little bit more athletic. Um, to me, so I'll go five, uh, five up. My number five guy is probably a guy that's a little higher than most. I like the kid Ezra Cleveland from Boise. Um, I think athletically, this kid's sort of a freak. Um, when you look at him, he doesn't look like he's as big as he is in terms of weight. <clears throat> and I sort of, sort of, my, one of the things I was taught early in my career, and I think I've told it to you many times, is, and I'm a big believer in it, when it comes to offensive linemen, I'd rather take a skinny guy who's a great athlete and have him have to gain 30 pounds than take a guy who's not a good athlete, who's big and strong, and try to make him a better athlete because you can't make people better athletes, but you can add weight and strength. So I like Cleveland there. I like the Willis kid from Alabama. He's my number four. I like him. I just don't love him. I, I think he's going to start in the league, whether he's a right tackle or a left tackle. I'm not sure where, but I like the kid. I just am not blown away by him. You mentioned the Andrew Thomas kid. That's the kid I have third. I think you're right. I think he knows exactly what he's doing coming from that passing offense in Georgia. Um, you see the foot quickness. You see the knee bend. He can literally protect the corner. He makes it look easy when he stays on his focus and knows what he's doing. Uh, I have the Beckton kid, number two. Um, this kid's just a freak of nature. We talked about him early in the year that when you watch Louisville, you're just stunned that this is a kid that's 6'8", 6'9". He's a massive human being, and he's pretty nimble. He moves pretty well, and that was backed up. We both we both said during the season, we're like, wow, this guy moves better than you would think. A 350-pound guy moves, goes to the combine, crushes it. Um, is he as nimble as Andrew Thomas? Probably not, or, or is Tr Tristan Wirfs my number one tackle? No, but for a massive human being like he is, he's pretty nimble. He's got good feet, long arms. I mean, there's everything there to be excited about. Um, I think he's going to start and start early. The Wirfs kid out of – 
Um, Iowa, I, I think part of it with him is when I watch this kid play, I just see a kid that fundamentally he's got the base, he plays with leverage, knows exactly what he's doing on every snap, and he's a better athlete than I think he gets credit for because he's so fundamentally sound. I think sometimes people say, ah, he's okay, he's got quick feet, but they're not great. He says, then he goes to the combine and says, hey, guys, I am as athletic as these other guys. And that, to me, made me say, you know what, I, I feel confident in my huge grade on him. I really like Werps. I think also I'm a little biased because the history of the linemen that have come out of Iowa that have not always been high picks, they've ended up starting for a decade because they're so fundamentally sound. They consistently play with great knee bend. They know how to use their hands. And that's why I feel very confident saying Werps to me. I may not be prototypical because he's not a six six guy with those really long arms. But he's got great bend. He shuffles well. He can slide and redirect. He's got everything I want physically except that great height. I think this guy's a top five pick, and I think he's a starting left tackle in the NFL for a long time. And not only is he well coached and technically sound, but you could state a case. He's arguably the most impressive at, uh, from an athleticism standpoint, the most impressive uh, measurables that we've ever seen from an offensive lineman. I don't remember uh, anybody testing as well as he did. Uh, Beckton to Louisville. I mean, this guy once weighed up to like 380, 390 pounds. And, you know, I'm curious to get your perspective quickly here with the Giants at number four. To me, this makes a logical choice based on Gettleman's history, the hog molly and all that. Uh, to me, the Louisville kid, and to your point, it depends on what a team is looking for. If you're the Giants and that first tackle is coming off the board, do you see them going with the hog molly or uh, does the work just blow you off the roof type of thing where you just have to take them? You know, I, I think it's a great question. I mean, I don't know Dave Gettleman personally. Um, I, we have some very close mutual friends. Um and Dave is a big believer that you win at the line of scrimmage. Um, and I think because of that, I think my guess is, I think he'd prefer the bigger guy, but I think the the success of the Iowa lineman would sway him to probably go with worse. So that's just my guess um, because they can't get it wrong. The Giants need to get this pick right. There can't be any risk. And very few Iowa linemen, even Robert Gallery, who didn't turn out to be a star, still started for five or six years in this league. Um, so there's, there's guys out there, um, that come out of Iowa, aren't highly thought of and make it. I just think worse to me, it makes too much sense for the giants. They need to upgrade that offensive line. And this kid to me, he's really special. Uh, interesting. Something we'll be monitoring here in New Jersey for sure. Um, I noticed, uh, Josh Jones from Houston, Austin Jackson from USC did not crack the top five or these guys that you like, you don't like, who are some guys that you're higher on? You know, the Jones kid to me is an intriguing kid because when you watch this kid um, at the All-Star Games, I think it was the Senior Bowl I saw, Matt, um, there were a lot of flashes athletically that made you say, all right, there's something there. This is a kid that's got a lot of the upside and the tools. I think this is a kid that, that's going to be a good player. Um, it's just it's a rare year for offensive tackles. I think in most years you'll be talking about him as that third tackle. I think it just so happens that this year, unlike most, this year's third tackle is probably going top 10 or 11. Most years the, top, the third tackle is going late first, top of the second. So I like this kid. I think he's, he's got a future there. Um, I would also say the kid out of uh, TCU, but Lucas Niang is a very interesting kid, another athletic kid, long linear kid. Um, I like him. I just don't think he's good enough to crack that, that upper echelon of guys. Yeah. And, you know, when I spoke to Chase Young, he, he gave the TCU kid a shout out as the toughest guy he faced during his Ohio State career. Now, was he just trying to get under the skin of some of the Big Ten uh, compadres there? I don't know. But, uh, you know, he does have some injury there. And, you know, that could impact his draft. But I think Lucas Nying is a guy that, you know, goes late day two, early day three, and winds up starting. Um, you know, to me, Austin Jackson, I saw him out in USC. I know there's a lot of love, a lot of love, a lot of love in the, in the scouting community for this kid. And so much love. They keep telling me he's going to go into the first round. Um, I don't see it. He's very, very long-armed guy. Uh, has the frame to grow into a, uh, you know, effective pro. He's just not there yet for me. I'm just too raw, 
for my liking. With that being said, I got to, based on the people who are telling me this, I got to believe he is a serious first round contender. Josh Jones from Houston, you know, everybody really liked him down in Mobile. I just thought, I thought he was good, not great. Um, not good enough to warrant a first round pick, but, you know, yep. I think he's definitely in that top 50 uh, consideration. So, um, you know, the other guys that I do like here, kind of day three action, maybe undrafted. Uh, we talked about Oregon. Brady Aiello, uh, I call him the fifth Beatle. In this case, he's the sixth offensive lineman. Split at time, starting with Dallas Warmack. But, um, you know, when you talk about the size, pedigree, the bend, the flexibility, technique, I, I mean, Brady Aiello came out to NFL PA ball and just um, stood down every guy he went up against. And I was really impressed. I like what there is to work with here. I don't know what other people think, but I think Brady Gallo has got a legitimate shot here to stick at the next level. And Blake Brandell, four-year starter, Oregon State, technically sound, uh, the technician. I mean, this guy's got great footwork, uh, excellent strength, leadership abilities, smart, everything you want from an offensive lineman are um, – uh, Offensive line coaches at the NFL PA just loved him, thought he could be a starter at the next level. And then, you know, Alex Taylor, the small school guy, I will say, from South Carolina yep. State, created himself a nice little buzz there. If I can get this guy late in day three, six foot nine, lean, uh, was, you know, again, just pretty mobile for a, a big, tall guy, um, you know, there, there's, there's potential there. Um, and then the one guy I'm probably a little bit sour on than most, I went into the school, they kept talking about him, talking about him, talking about him, came back and, and watched him at live. Uh, Cameron Clark from Charlotte, you know, he does flash at times. He shows the ability to be a very good player, but just too many times he gets sloppy with his technique. He lunges, he's out of position, he gets taken advantage of, and you're just going to get used and abused like a turnstile at the next level if you do that at the pros. He's got a lot of coaching up to do. Um, you know, I, I think that Cameron Clark uh, possesses all the tools in the toolbox, but he needs to get with the right kind of coach at the next level, refine his technique, uh, refine his footwork, his, his just body balance. Everything just needs to be overhauled in my opinion. So, uh, sorry, Cam. And uh, You know, and, you know, and I'll add a guy in there because you, you're talking about a guy you're low on. Similar guy is the Prince kid from Auburn. This is a kid yeah. that, when I look at him, he should be an elite guy. He's got quick feet. He can move. He can pull. He can do all sorts of things. Problem is, he's not a great player. He gets beaten too often. I don't see that nasty fire that he wants to go out there and do whatever it takes to succeed. He just he frustrates me when I watch him play. Um, and you mentioned some of the under-radar guys. It's funny. One of the guys I'm sort of looking at now is a guy that I always was saying, how is he a highly regarded player? Because I didn't think he was a first-round or a second-round pick. And now people are saying, oh, he's terrible. Throw him away. It's the kid Trey Adams <laughs> out of Washington. Yeah. It's like, I know he's not a first-round guy. I understand. And I never thought he was even a, a day-two guy. But you're telling me in that sixth or seventh round, a kid that's a, a starter all these games in Washington, knows what he's doing, even though he's not a good athlete, he's a stiff guy. He doesn't have great speed in a small area. He knows what he's doing. He's got long arms. He can do a lot of things you want to do. To me, in the late rounds, he's a great value. Early rounds, no way he's not a good enough player. But in that sixth or seventh round, he'd be a very intriguing player to grab a hold of. Yeah, well, not a good athlete. I think, I think you're being way too kind there. <laughs> he was a business. <laughs> And I, and I get it. I mean, that combine performance, you, you scratch your head and say, did the kid even bother? Did he even train at all for this? You know, but uh, it, it, it was, was very combine. weird. It was. But I mean, listen, if, if there's one position that I can throw out the measurables, it's offensive line, right? So can the kid block? You know, he, he's, he's a nasty dude. And there's something to be said for that chip on the shoulder that he plays with. So Trey Adams. Uh, you know, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for some of his team interviews and just heard some of those conversations. But, um, you know, it's been another hour of power for us. It's just uh, time flies by each and every week here, uh, you know, chopping it up with you. Unfortunately, we've been confined uh, into our homes and quarantine status. Uh, are, you, are you going batty yet? Are you going insane crazy or crazy insane? 
You know, I'm doing all right. It's uh, the chance to watch a lot of film has been in great, been great. Um, doing a lot of conference calls with the Calgary people. So that's been fun. So it's, it's, it's been a little bit odd, but it has been uh, much better than I expected it would be. Yeah. I got to echo those sentiments and especially for New Jersey being on lockdown and here I turned to Samantha the other day or yesterday. I was like, you know, how many days of this have we been on this lockdown? She goes, oh, you mean this isn't normal life? <laughs> I mean, I'm just exactly. <laughs> you know, breaking it down and, uh, you know, I, I will say the NFL draft Bible is filling the void of, you know, no, no blessed, no national this year. Well, hey, NFL draft Bible's got you covered. We're collecting all the intel and data with the uh, NFL draft Bible spring grades, 6,000 players in our database already. Uh, we're kicking off our coaching, uh, coach and pro liaison interviews today. I got four schools lined up right after this podcast. We're excited about it and we're doing things in this uh, scouting uh, industry that, uh, you know, you haven't seen before. Trust me when I tell you, there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that we're really excited about. American National Combines, uh, all of their combines have been moved to May. We're crossing our fingers, holding our breath, knocking on wood, hoping for the best. And we do have contingency dates set up in case we are not back um, to full throttle by May. It's a waiting game, Russ. We'll just wait and see. But I know one thing. We'll be back next week to break it all down. Uh, any parting shots for the people here? Just enjoy this the, the, the chance here to listen to us talk about football. Trust me, with this lockdown, Rick and I have been grinding more film than I think ever this time of year. And if there's any information you're going to find out, it's in the NFL Draft Bible. There is no way to get more information on draft prospects than that book. It's uh, one of a kind. You know, we can't stop. We won't stop. We don't even know how to stop. And make sure you check out the football GM and scouting course that Russell does over on sportsmanagementworldwide.com. We've got to give them a shout out there. And we'll be back next week. We'll get into some of those skill position players, Russ. We'll break it down. Tight ends, wide receiver edition. Uh, till the next time, everybody. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your host, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello.